Uh, folks, over the, the summer, uh, our, our minister, Christoph Ebbinghaus, is in Canada on a sabbatical. Um, so while, while Christoph's away, uh, we have the pleasure of having uh, Ross Lockhart with us. Um, Ross is, is from Vancouver and um, is currently doing a house swap with Christoph. So um, it's not like this all the time, Ross, as you can probably imagine, but you're, you're very welcome to be here with us this morning. And uh, we look forward to hearing now um, what you've uh, to say from this scripture. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's a privilege and a pleasure to, uh, to be with you, and uh, Ricky told me that I can preach for three hours this morning, so I'm very excited about that. We're uh, mindful of uh, Christoph and Claire, who are uh, asleep as we speak in Vancouver, but Christoph will be leading worship at my home church in Vancouver in uh, eight hours' time, so we will be uh, mindful of them as well. And thank you for your very warm hospitality It is wonderful to be in Northern Ireland. Uh, Of all the visits I've made to uh, see my family in Market Hill over the years, I have never experienced Ulster this warm. And so it is wonderful to be here uh, and to be able to praise God with you and to crack open his word. Uh, Let us begin with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of this new day this totally unused Sabbath that lies before us, an opportunity to rest, to relax, to recreate with you and through your Spirit as we share this day with family and with friends. Bless us now as we read your word and study it. We pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this past January, I found myself in our local hospital on the north shore of Vancouver. It's called Lionsgate Hospital. If you've been to Vancouver, that refers to an enormous mountain that is on the north shore of Vancouver. And when you look at it a certain direction, the two mountain peaks look like lions on its line on their side. It's in Lionsgate Hospital, and that's uh, not such a surprising thing as a a minister of the gospel, just like uh, Christoph and David and Edna come to visit you and your loved ones in local hospitals. I, too, find myself, along with my wife, uh, Laura, who's a minister, in our local hospital uh, every week. But this visit was a little bit different. I wasn't there to visit uh, a member of the congregation I was there to support my wife as she prepared to deliver our third child, little Sadie. And it's quite a different experience, I'm sure you'll agree, to to be in hospital with a loved one rather than just visiting someone uh, from the church. And it was a a scheduled C-section, and and so if you've been through that uh, yourself or or accompanying your spouse, you'll know that that the mom is is prepped, and as a dad, you're handed this uh, bag of scrubs to put on, and so you get into kind of the awkward uniform in the hospital, and then they simply abandon you as the father in this uh, hospital room, and you have no idea how long you're going to be there for. And so I did what I think many of us would do when you're kind of killing time these days. What, what would you do if you're just spending some time? I pulled out my iPhone and I went on to Facebook there in the hospital. And I updated my Facebook status. And all I put on Facebook was Psalm 139, 
verses 13 and 14. Now that passage was beautifully read for us this morning. It talks about how God has formed our most inward parts, that God knit us together in our mother's womb. It says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. For all of us who are parents, as you stand on the cusp of waiting for a new life to arrive, is there a more beautiful psalm than this one to describe that sense of joy and nervousness and anticipation awaiting a new life? I was surprised by some of the responses immediately on Facebook as I stood there in my hospital scrubs looking at my iPhone. Of course, many of my friends who have not darkened the door of the church in many years were confused by the reference. Later, they confessed they actually opened the Bible for the first time, trying to figure out, what did I mean by this coded and cryptic reference to Psalm 139? When Christoph and I were talking about our summer series at uh, both of our churches, uh, I've given him the, the task of preaching in a series simply entitled, So Help Me God, Christian Witness in a Multi-Faith World. And when he mentioned that your theme is songs in the key of life, I was delighted and I said, oh, I would love to preach on Psalm 139. I can't remember the last time I had the opportunity to preach on this psalm. As I started reading through the psalm, I was reminded of its beauty. Now, the psalms, I'm not sure how how you approach them, but I often approach them with a sense of of familiarity and also complexity or confusion. They're they're, they're confusing sometimes. As, As young believers, we're taught the 23rd psalm, are we not? That's one of your Sunday school kind of starter kit psalms that you have to memorize. You hear stories about King David, that great shepherd boy turned king and warrior and poet and musician. And we know that the psalms come to us from King David. Scholars these days are suggesting that the the higher the number of the psalm, uh, the less likely that David himself wrote the psalm, but someone writing in that same tradition made this musical offering that's been recorded. A little bit like uh, Michael Buble sings in the tradition of Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack. So by the time we get to Psalm 139, we're not entirely sure who wrote it, but it is consistent in the tradition of the Psalms. The Psalms are confusing in the sense that they're so familiar, the language is so uh, strong and vivid, it's uh, emotion that is just at your fingertips as you flip the pages, but it's confusing. One of the great theologians of the last century, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, said that he was puzzled by the Psalms, and and here's what puzzled him. He said, how does man's word to God, when put in Scripture, get turned around and become God's word to us? Did you catch that? The sense in which these are, are David's words poured out of his heart to God, but when we read them in Scripture, we expect that God will speak to us through these words. So we approach the Psalms with excitement, but also with a bit of trepidation that we may not exactly understand what we're handling before us. Now, Psalm 138, the Psalm before this one, 
ends with a final line saying, Lord, do not abandon the work of your hands. And then today's psalm starts. So do not abandon the work of your hands. What, what is God's handiwork? Well, Psalm 139 answers that for us. It begins with the first 12 verses talking about how great and vast God is. Just how big. It talks about the the macro nature of God in the universe. Almost like that children's program, Big and Small. This psalm begins with big and then works towards small. It talks about how vast God is, how God hems us in behind and before The question is asked by the psalmist, where can I go to get away from you, God? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. The short answer is nowhere. You cannot escape this God who is constantly pursuing us in relationship. Paul Tillich, great theologian, said, commenting on this psalm, that clearly God is inescapable. And only God is inescapable. That which is inescapable is of God. Can't get away from them. You can't get them out of your mind. There is no way you can get away from God. That's what makes God, God. And just as our heads are about to explode with just how big God is, it switches in verse 13. It goes to this beautiful Micro, this small exposure of how this vast God can be experienced in our own personal lives. It talks about God knitting us together in our mother's womb. Have you ever thought of God at work in your life in such an intimate way that God was involved in your creation? This is not the God of that terrible heresy of of deism that says God is like a, a wallpaper God or an absentee landlord God who put the world in order but won't even come back to fix a, a leaky toilet. This is a God who is actively involved in our lives, in your life and mine. God who is there at your very creation. God who has sustained you. You are not a cookie-cutter person You are a bespoke believer. God has knit you together in your womb. Now, this is truth that is so amazing, so encouraging. And it's right in the Psalms. Walter Brueggemann, who is without a doubt the the greatest Old Testament scholar in North America of the last generation, says that there is something so fascinating about the Psalms, all of the Psalms, that it talks about our relationship with God. It is the the I-U relationship is how Brueggemann describes it. And he says that the, the curious thing about the I-U relationship with King David and God is that in this relationship, God is named, God is known, God is identifiable. In other words, this is not just throwing up a, what we would call in Canada a 911 prayer or what you'd probably call a 999 prayer, just kind of a tossing a prayer up and hoping there's some sort of God that might help you in a time of crisis. This is an intimate relationship in which the one who is praying, David, knows God and God knows David. 
that kind of intimate relationship does not happen casually. That is, like any of our relationships, something that we work at. Challenge of being a believer and having this relationship where I come from in Canada is that more and more in Canada these days, people are forgetting the relationship with God. They're forgetting that they were knit together in their mother's womb by God. Whenever I return to Ulster, I'm, I'm always taken by how strong the church is still in Northern Ireland. Now, I know I've read the local Presbyterian magazine and the numbers that are falling in Presbyterian churches. But where I live and minister for the gospel, where Christoph, your pastor, will preach today, Statistics Canada says that 95% of the people who live in my community do not attend church. 95%. Any church. They just don't go to church. In Canada, church attendance is plummeting. And it has been for a long time. And as a result, this relationship, this I-U relationship, has begun to fade. Many would say it's been forgotten. There is a, a spiritual amnesia that is taking place in North America in general, in Canada in particular. One of the greatest things for the church to do is to remind people who they are, who made them, and the relationship that they are privileged to enjoy. There's a story told of uh, George Bush Sr., the former American president, uh, when he was on the campaign trail back, I guess, in the 90s. And he had a whistle stop. His uh, bus pulled into an old folks' home, a senior's home. And it, that always looks good on TV for the camera. So all the media got out, and the, the president, hopeful, got out. And Bush was shaking hands, going up and down the rows of all these elderly people. And it, I guess one of his handlers suggested that it would be a fine idea if he actually stopped in front of one of the seniors in her wheelchair and had a little conversation. That would look good for the ratings on TV. So indeed, he did that, and he paused in front of an older woman in a wheelchair, and he bent down nice and low, looking very polite, and shook her hand. And he said to this woman in the wheelchair, he said, do you know who I am? And she looked a little puzzled, a, a little confused. And, and so he said again, do you know who I am? And the TV cameras at this point were, were closing in. This was potentially a disaster in the making because she still looked very confused. And he said one last time, now feeling very nervous, excuse me, but do you know who I am? And the older woman said, well, no, but if you ask the nurse at the desk, she can help you remember. <laughs> right? She can help you remember. There is something about the place where I minister for the gospel that the church is all about helping people remember who they are. You created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We tell a story. We tell a story as Christian people of purpose and belonging. We are not here by chance. It is not random. We are created by a loving God and created with a purpose on this earth. We are invited, we are adopted into God's family. 
When we speak of God as Christians, of course, we speak in terms of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this great trinity of love. There's a, a theologian friend of mine named uh, Baxter Kruger, who's a great guy, he's down in, in the States in Mississippi. And uh, I was at a retreat with him uh, just a little while back, and he was telling me of a story that he uh, just couldn't get over. He uh, was sitting Sunday afternoon after church watching Sunday football, not soccer, but football, American football. And uh, his son had a, a, a little uh, play date going on, and he was sitting there with his newspaper, just reading the newspaper and watching Sunday sports, and he sensed out of the corner of his eye that his son was sneaking up on him. In fact, his son had changed into like a ninja costume, and he could tell that his son was just about ready to uh, launch a surprise attack. And he, with children or grandchildren, know what I'm talking about, right? You just kind of... So he sat there with his newspaper. He knew what was going to happen, but he pretended like he had no idea. And, and his son jumps up on him, and he starts wrestling. The newspaper goes flying, and they're laughing and giggling. They're play wrestling. And then all of a sudden, Baxter realized that he wasn't just wrestling one ninja, but he was wrestling a second ninja, his son's little friend who was over for a play date. And Baxter said, in that moment of having that fun little play wrestle on the couch, it was like a a ticker tape went across his forehead saying, pay attention, this is important. He wrestled with the boys, and of course off they ran. That only satisfied them for 30 seconds or so, and they were on to something else. And Baxter sat there in his living room, newspaper all over the floor, thinking about what had just happened. He said what amazed him was, of course, his son would sneak up and jump on on him on the couch and have a good play wrestle. That's what you do with a dad. That's the kind of fun relationship you have. But he said what was so odd was that his son's friend would do the same thing. He said there is no way on God's green earth that that friend over for a play date, if he walked into the living room, and saw his friend's dad sitting reading a newspaper, would jump up and play wrestle with him on his own. The only reason he did it is because Baxter's son said, let's go play with my dad. You're welcome to join in. It's only because of the son's invitation that play with the father could take place. Beloved, we tell a story as Christian people of being adopted into the life of Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Not because we've earned it, not because we're great people, but because Jesus makes it possible. This adoption into the life reminds us both who and whose we are. If the church's mission in so many secular places in the world today is really about reminding people who they are, then one of the things that we need to be mindful of is who is not here, who is not present in the church, who might be excluded, who might be struggling to believe that God knit them together in their mother's womb. There's a gentleman named Fred Craddock who is arguably the dean of preaching in North America, now retired in Georgia. He tells a story of when he was a young ordained preacher and 
didn't have a lot of money for a vacation, but they scrounged up a little bit of cash, and they ended up uh, going to the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. And they dropped their children off at his in-laws so they could have the first couple's getaway in a year. And they were so excited to actually have a conversation together where they would not be interrupted by their children or the manse telephone ringing. And they went to this, this nice resort and they were sitting down to a lovely meal and they just began to talk one to the other. When an older gentleman came along with a cane and he came up to the table and Fred saw him coming from the corner of his eye and he thought, oh no, this is going to ruin everything. And the older gentleman said, good evening, are you on vacation? And Fred looked at him with a look that said, please go away. And he said, well, yes, yes, we are on vacation. And the man said, and are you enjoying your vacation? And Fred thought I was up until about 10 seconds ago. And he said, may I ask what you do for a living? And Fred thought, oh, please, Lord, just let this man go away. I just want to relax with my wife. And, and he said reluctantly, well, I, I'm a preacher. And the man pulled out the chair and turned it around and sat down. And he said, well, if you're a preacher, I have a great story for you. And Fred said, by all means, please help yourself. Pull up a chair and sit down. The man started telling a story. He said, out through those windows, I grew up just beyond the Smoky Mountains he said, uh, I was born out of wedlock. My mother had me in, in those days. That was a big deal, and so I was shunned. We tried to keep a low profile, but the older I got, people told me that my physical features were just enough like my unknown father to create trouble in that small town. He said, when I went to school, kids would tease me and call me terrible names. We even tried going to a local church, but people gave us such judgmental looks. We couldn't go anymore. So he said, I, I found a little church in the woods, small little Baptist church, and I loved the singing, he said, but I was so afraid that someone would recognize me, and they might say, I know who you are, you don't belong here, that I would sneak in on the first hymn, and then I would sneak out on the last hymn. But one day, he said, I was singing the final hymn, and it was so good that I was caught in that lineup that forms that cue to shake the preacher's hand. And he said, and oh, what a preacher in this church. He was a giant of a man with a big, fuzzy beard and a deep, booming voice. And I was so nervous. I tried to get out, but I was pulled forward like a magnetic force towards the door. And just when I saw an opportunity to sneak out around people shaking hands, I felt a big firm hand on my shoulder and I looked up and I saw that scruffy beard and I heard that booming voice. It was the preacher and he said to me, boy, whose child are you? And I froze. The preacher said again, boy, who's your father? And I opened my voice, but nothing came out. Finally, the preacher stood back, maintaining his hand on the little boy's shoulder. He said, Ah, uh, I know whose child you are. I know who your father is. And the boy said that he just shook in his place. And the preacher said in a voice loud enough for the whole congregation to hear, I know who this boy is. The resemblance is uncanny.
You're God's child. You're God's child. He made you. And you're here to claim your inheritance. Go on, child of God. Claim your inheritance. With that, the old man stood up from the table and shuffled away. Fred and his wife were silent. The waitress came over and Fred said, Who was that old man? Oh, well, that was Ben Hooper, twice elected governor of this state. He loves telling that story. It changed his life. Fred sat at that table and he said, That old man wanted to tell me a story, but in the end, he told me the story. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Let us tell this story as bespoke believers until the kingdom comes.